0: You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. We're in Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. If you will stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's Word, and today we have a much more fun topic, and we're going to talk about signs and wonders. Signs and wonders and what that means and how that should motivate us as the body of Christ. Let's read along here with the word of God. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women So that even, uh, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Let's pray. God, we pray that we will see your power at work among us. We ask, Lord Jesus, that this morning, those who are skeptical, those who have not felt that wonderful tingling presence in the heart and mind of your spirit's presence will fill that today. God, I pray that we will begin to see that this life that we know in this world is just a second, a spark, a tiny fraction of the life we have in us. God, show us your ways and may signs and miracles, Lord, be a bridge to us and a bridge for our community to salvation and eternal hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we've been in Acts for a little while now and obviously with so many more chapters to go, we'll still be in Acts for a little while. But one of the things we see in the book of Acts is this. There is a tension between the world we know and the unseen spiritual world. There is a tension between what is, uh, you know, something you can see and taste and touch and feel kind of empirically, scientifically understand in the world around us. And then uh, those of us in this room who've been walking with the Lord a long time, we know that there are just some things in life that no words seem to explain. The church is in between these two different worlds. The one is very physical and the other is purely spiritual. It is that tension that we've seen in the book of Acts and that we should be experiencing in the church. But I am curious, how many of you sitting in this room right now are uh, are able to say that you have felt this tension? Because I sense that in the church today, many people know what it means to be a part of a church and know what it means to do ministry and to do something like social work in the community. But my question is this. Do you personally feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Are there times when you know that there is sin in your life that needs to be confessed? Are there other moments in your life Where you feel what the old timers called unction, which simply means that you feel the spirit inside of you. My concern is, is that I can talk about this tension all day long. But there are many people in the church today that are very unaware of this tension. If that is the case, something needs to change in your life. Everyday problems are one thing. Spiritual problems are another. And too often it seems like the church is... is is lacking any spiritual power because all we talk about from the pulpit or the things that we want to be taught are more self-help oriented. So much of preaching today is just trying to give you a better life in this world, but here's the deal. That's not dealing with the tension at all. We can get some self-help and some life advice from many places in the world, but we are here because we believe that human beings have a fundamental problem, and that is they are sinners. And we believe that Jesus has provided a fundamental answer, and that is his cross. And we must begin the journey by believing that we are sinners. And when we are under conviction of our sin, then we know we need a Savior. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit to convince us that we need Jesus. You see, when the power from another world breaks in, The result is what we see here in the scriptures as signs and wonders. We've seen in chapter 2, signs and wonders manifested on the day of Pentecost in that fresh wind and fresh fire that falls on those early Christians. A little further along in Acts chapter 3, we saw signs and wonders break in when the lame man was killed, not killed, when he was cured, let's get that right. I don't want to become a heretic up here. He was cured by the work of the apostles, and he jumped up and leapt. And then in Acts chapter 5, the more scary example, we see that two people thought that they could lie to God, to the Holy Spirit, and they found out that the power of God can also be deadly. Those are signs and wonders. Those are things that are happening that we cannot, with our empirical thinking, with our scientific thinking, logic doesn't work here. There's something going on that is beyond the physical. And that's where the tension comes in, church. We live in such a world. Now, I want to show you this picture of a bridge. I took this picture when I was in um, Vegas a few years ago. I mean, you know, me in Vegas makes a lot of sense. Um... Much, as much sense as the Southern Baptist Convention being in New Orleans this week, I don't know what's going on there. Um, but if, you, if you've been to the Hoover Dam, you know this, you know this site, this is a familiar site. That bridge is an incredible bridge uh, spanning this, this wonderful canyon that's filled with water. But I want you to get this image in your head, because I really feel like the church needs to remember that we are a bridge. It is our job, our duty. This is not something I think that we can either choose to do or not to do. We are connected, or we should be a connection between this world and the next. Are you following me? You need a bridge to connect two desperate, uh, desperate places, two, two different places. Um, we need a bridge to make the connection. The church is supposed to be that connection, Now, let me ask you this. Are you a functional part of that bridge? What in your life is helping the church connect people in this world with this other world that is in heaven? Are you willing to be a part of this? And let me ask you this question. Are you willing to be walked on because bridges get walked on? You see, to be a part of the church means you are committing to be a connector, a bridge between this world as we know it and eternity, which we know not yet. And we are called to be this bridge. But to be this bridge requires all of us being a functional part of the bridge and willing to be walked on. A lot of people want Jesus But they don't want to be walked on for Jesus. But I'm telling you, it is our job to take the gospel to the nations, and that means we are going to be walked on. Here in Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, yes, we have miracles. We have these beautiful miracles taking place. But we also see, as we've seen all along, that not everybody is believing, not everybody is trusting. To follow Jesus is going to bring tension in our lives. But there is not going to be the right kind of tension if we are not concerned about the souls of men and women and boys and girls. The devil will let us be a church that just does social work all day long. But if we start winning souls to Jesus, there will be war and we will be walked on. But let us be a bridge. May we be a bridge for souls. Let me give you another word picture. I believe that the church is called to be um, a church that cares for souls and hurting people. We are to display to the world the mercy and grace of God. I like to think of it in this way. Imagine a display window at a department store. I know that's a little old school. They don't do it as much anymore. But when you go to New York City and you go along the, the streets there, you'll see at some of those department stores they'll have these big elaborate window displays. I want you to get that image in your mind because I believe as we look at the text here, God is telling us that we as the church are to be a window display of God's mercy and grace. You see it's a witness to the world when people see us caring for one another, see how they love one another. You will be known by your love, Jesus said. All of this is consistent we need to love one another well and love the people that God brings in to the church and that becomes a display window so signs and wonders notice what i'm doing here it's not complicated i've given you two simple word pictures mental pictures one is a bridge the church is to be a bridge between the material world and the spiritual world that is the idea of evangelism and salvation the second picture i gave you is of a display window and that is of discipleship and ministry. But through it all, I want you to know that this is all about, that church is all about signs and wonders. God's grace being on display. We see that in our text. And we see that the church that, that has had some growing pains, Ananias and Sapphira are a pretty good example of growing pains. We see that even though they had these growing pains... They began to grow. So here's the deal. We are a church filled with people. I told you last week, if we're a church filled with people, what are we going to have? Problems. Because I alliterate. Anyway, he said trouble. I said problems. Same thing. All right? If we have people, we're going to have problems. There's no doubt about that. But friends, just because a church has problems doesn't mean it's not serving the Lord. No church is perfect. But let's try to be that perfect bridge. Let's try to be that display window of grace, let's begin by thinking about what it means to think of everyday miracles. I love that phrase. It, it really, I love phrases where two words, you, you mash them together and they don't make any sense uh, when, uh, when you do it. But then you look at it more and you say, oh no, that's it, everyday miracles. If you look at the text, let me show you where I'm getting this. Verse 12, it says, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people. Now, let me tell you, I've been raised in a Baptist church all my life. I've been a pastor of a Baptist church for a long, long time uh, in three different states. I've seen a lot of things, but I'll tell you that the average Baptist church, the average evangelical church may see God move in a mighty way, something that they might call signs and wonders every once in a while, once a couple of years, once in a decade. But I want you to think about this. If we are filled with the spirit, I think we'll look more like Acts chapter 5, verse 12. And that is, we will see many signs and wonders, and they will be done regularly among the people. Oh, what a shame it is that many of us and our children have never seen a move of God. What a shame. Now, I've heard people say it's because we don't have old-fashioned revivals anymore. You know, that may be true, but it may not be true. It's not something we can manufacture. It's not about a certain kind of meeting and a certain kind of preacher with certain kind of gifts. We need to cry out for God. The people who say just have a revival are probably lazy prayers. They're wanting me to fix it by calling the right fellow. Well, here, let me tell you, you're the right fellow. You're the right lady. You need to be on your knees crying out for souls. If we want to see people come to know Jesus, we need to get serious about praying for people who are lost. We need to get serious about going out to where the lost people are. You see, God is always touching many lives in many ways. And here in the text, we see Christians are meeting near Solomon's portico. Same place where we saw that great miracle in chapter 3. Things are starting to get a little crazy. They're filling up the temple. The problem is, is everybody's going to hear Jesus preached instead of going and doing the rituals of the temple. Now, that's a problem. That's a problem that we see come to a head even in the verses directly following our text here in verse, uh, in verse 17. We'll see that and beyond. But I want you to realize here is, is, is that people, people in the world, even good people, sometimes get upset about the work of God. You see, even people who would consider themselves religious really don't want change in their lives at all. Even if it is miraculous change, even if lives are being turned upside down for God, some people get upset about the work of God. I want you to know this. It is so easy to get discouraged in a church. I don't know if you've noticed this. I've been pastor in churches for nearly 30 years. I'm going to tell you, however many times you've been discouraged, I bet you I've been discouraged more. It would be so easy to just walk away from it all. But I want to tell you this. Don't give up on the body of Christ. Don't be the person who gets upset and then gets in the way of the work of God. Be a positive contribution. If your children and your grandchildren, Johnny, if your people around you constantly hear you negative about the church, don't be surprised when your children and grandchildren have nothing to do with the church. When you're constantly critical of the preacher, don't be surprised when your children one day don't respect your authority. You see, we do a lot of talking and we don't do enough praying. We are always sure that we know what's the matter, but the matter may be that you are not prayed up. We're not seeing everyday miracles because we're not every day seeking the Lord. Don't be upset when God begins to work. But never be afraid to upset the status quo for Jesus. Don't be upset when God is working, but never be afraid to stir things up for Jesus. To stir your own heart. We have to stir our hearts up. I need to stir your heart. You need to stir mine. We see that those who are called of God, notice in the verse, verse 12, that it's the hands of the apostles at work here. The spirit-filled leaders of the church are united And they are, we are told in verse 12, the second sentence there, and they were all together. Notice that God does miraculous things through united people. When we are united, God will do amazing things. When we are in prayer, when we are in the word, we become a more successful and sturdy bridge between this world and the next to capture the attention and the hearts of lost people, God will unleash signs and wonders. God will fill his church with gospel grace. But we must make sure that we are displaying that. Unity clears the way for everyday miracles. Wow. A couple of weeks ago, I let out of the bag, maybe prematurely, but, well, since I'm the boss, then I, I guess it's not premature because it's what I did. So, it's, you know, that's, I guess that's the end of it. Um, But maybe a little prematurely, but I just was so excited about it. I want to share it with you We've got a whole plan that we're trying to develop and move forward We want to challenge the people of Ridgecrest to have eight thousand four hundred gospel conversations in the next year Eight thousand four hundred and we want to represent that visually somewhere here in the auditorium We want to be a people who are going out and making a difference. Listen If we are going to go and share the gospel that many times, that's basically seven times, you sharing the gospel seven times in a calendar year. It is a very, very, very easy thing to do if you will just commit to it. In fact, one lady in our church uh, showed me, uh, we were thinking about representing each one of those gospel conversations with those little rubber bouncy balls. And someone's given me a little jar already with 12 in them. So you need to get to work. All right, and I need to get to work. We want to share this wonderful gospel. But we must be united in the gospel. We want to bring people to a healthy church that will encourage them. Because let me tell you, the world is going to discourage them. The devil is going to discourage them. We need to be united to encourage them. Now let me tell you what's going to stop it. It's fear. Verse 13. Let's talk about fear and miracles for just a moment here. The Bible is filled with Stories, amazing stories of God's miraculous work on earth. But the Bible is also filled with stories about people who witnessed miracles and did not believe. I think about Pharaoh in Moses' day. How do you witness all these miracles? One after another, Exodus 7 and following, and reject Yahweh. I think about Ahab's refusal to see the hand of God at work in Elijah's life there in 1 Kings 17 and following. But the most egregious example that I can think of comes from Matthew 28. Now, the verse right—the verses right before the Great Commission, verses 16 and 17, let me read them to you. I don't know if you've noticed this before. It says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. They saw Jesus, they worshipped him. And notice this last little phrase, But some doubted. Now, I understand that the magicians in Egypt were able to do some of the same miracles, so maybe that's why Pharaoh's heart stayed hardened. I think about Ahab, and I think about his thirst for power and his pride of character and how that might have kept him From turning to Yahweh. But when I come to Matthew 28. And I read about the resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus. Showing up and speaking. And some doubting. That tells me that fear. That doubt. Are powerful forces in this world. This is the most negative force I know of in this world. And that is misdirected fear. And we'll talk about why I use that phrase, that word misdirected. Misdirected fear is one of the most powerful negative forces in the world. Fear of this sort will blind the eye of faith if you let it remain in your heart. I want you to know this. The people of Jerusalem were impressed with what they were seeing. Look at verse 13. None of the rest dared join them, but... The people held them in high esteem. Now, if you flip that verse upside down, it's kind of like this. The people are saying, hey, we're really impressed with the gospel, um, but we're just not going to be changed by it. We're not going to do anything different. Yeah, it's pretty neat that all these people are joining in the temple. I mean, we can't draw a crowd like that, but here the apostles are. That's all great. We We are impressed with what you're doing. We're just not going to be changed by it. Look at that phrase. None of the rest dared join them. The Bible is filled with word pictures. Let me give you another one here. The word join in the Greek is the picture of cleaving or taking something that is of of one piece and putting it in two, cleaving it in two. So what this word represents is this. The people in Jerusalem, there in the temple, who did not believe, they were afraid to separate from their traditions. They refused to be cleaved by the gospel. The gospel cuts. It cuts us away from our sinful past. It cuts us away from our selfish pursuits and brings us into the sphere of influence of Jesus. These people respected that power, but they did not want to walk away from their traditions. I got news for you. Jesus demands our whole heart, not just part of it. And the problem in the church today is too many of us have given Jesus a portion, but not the whole. We are afraid of walking away from our past. It is one of the hardest things for the heart to do is change. I've already said that at the beginning of my sermon. After I told you about Johnny, I don't like change. That's true in terms of staff transitions, but it's also true in terms of just being in my comfort zone. It takes real power to change, but I want you to know Jesus has real power. Real power is scary. It'll turn you around upside down and inside out. But if Jesus's power is real and his teachings are true, isn't the more frightening prospect to be found in disobedience to God? What's more scary, you changing for Jesus' sake or you rejecting Jesus? Too many of us are more afraid of change than we are of hell. That's right. That's right. Come on. I'm talking to some of you. We have a problem. The problem is we don't seem to be all that concerned. About our sins. Now, I told you misdirected fear. Let me tell you where fear should be directed. It should be directed in the direction of the Lord. Positive fear is the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord will trump your fear of spiritual change. Let me ask you this question. Do you long to be born again? Or do you long to remain the same? Jesus said, you must be born again. Again, he said that to Nicodemus and he's saying it to us as well. And here is my concern. One of our deacons this morning, Brother Grant, said it so well. There are people who would say, I believe in Jesus, but that doesn't mean that they are born again. You can have knowledge and say, my tradition is that Jesus and the church is my religion But it has not changed one iota of your life. You say you believe it, but it's not changed you. Let me tell you, when Jesus gets a hold of us, when the fear of the Lord, when we know our sins are separating us from a holy God and sending us to a terrible hell, we get serious. And I want to tell you that serious means being born again. I know I'm starting to sound like a revival preacher, but I'm telling you, it's because the church needs revived. We need to be born again. We need to not be a church that is satisfied with milquetoast Christianity and a little bit of service on the side and hoping for heaven someday. May God change you inside out. What's your excuse? Well, let me tell you what it is. Because sometimes it's hard to put it into words. Well, that's my job. I have plenty of words. We fear things in this world too much. And we fear God too little. You're more worried about losing your family than your soul. You're more worried about losing your job than your relationship with Jesus. When was the last time? When? when? was the last time that you were moved by spiritual things? When was the last time that your heart bled for souls? When was the last time that you could honestly say that you spoke and it was not your voice, it was the voice of God working through you? Has it ever happened? John 3 has been all over my mind the last 24 hours. I just can't get away from Jesus's declaration, his imperative. You must be born again. Nicodemus couldn't do it halfway. He had to give everything to Jesus. And I'm looking at the church today, and I know that we have churches filled with with wonderful people, good people, faithful people. But I wonder how many are born again. I wonder how many would say that Jesus is their all in all, that Christ is all, that we would be willing to be walked on. Friends, I've got to tell you, most of the time when we ask people to serve, like 171 people serve, most of you nod your head and say, that's really awesome. And you will walk out of here and not sign up because you don't have any margin in your life for what matters most. And you talk about how busy you are. I've been talking with the staff. For years, we've talked about we can't put too much on our people. We can't put too much on our people. Let me tell you what happens. We don't give you much to do at church. So what you're doing is you're filling it up with everything else. We've given you a vacuum that you filled with things that are not of Christ. And so when we ask, can you help? You've already stretched to the limits. And I understand I've done it my entire adult life. I'm speaking here to you out of experience. My heart is burdened for all the times that I have allowed my life to get too far out of control and not give my best to Jesus. Oh, friends, if we are born again, we better start acting like it. Fear the Lord, but don't fear the work of God. I was reading some dead people, which is what I typically do. I don't read living authors. It's just my way. And I saw this written by one of the early reformers. He says, and I'm paraphrasing because you don't want to hear this in 16th century English. But he said, basically, a hungry man, he will eat. A sick woman, because a man's never going to get medicine, but a sick man will take medicine. A sick woman will take medicine. A man won't because he's too stubborn, but you know what I'm saying. So a hungry man eats. A sick person, they're really sick, will take their medicine. But a sinner is so often unmoved by his sin. If you're hungry, you will eat. If you were sick, you will go to the doctor or take the medicine. But when God reveals to you your sin, you know what you do? You act like it's no big deal. That's more important than the food you eat, and that's more important than the medicine you'll take. When you are convicted of your sin, you better fall on your knees to the Lord. Let me tell you. The sinner is more afraid of change than he is of hell. And that's what we see in verse 13. None of the rest dared join them. They they appreciated it. They respected it. Let me say in the church, we have people that will come to church and respect the tradition. But they will not change their ways. Nothing has changed in terms of human nature. But let me end with this. There is salvation and healing. For all who will come. The Lord is not here today saying, Oh, well, I've got room for five. No, the old invitation song, there is room at the cross for you. There is absolutely no limit. God wants all of you. He does not want to see one soul perish, but He would like to see every one of you be born again. Notice in verse 14. The Spirit's power is at work. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. Multiplication. These folks were coming from the towns around Jerusalem. This was revival. Not just in Jerusalem, but verse 16 tells us that they were coming from the whole region. Let me tell you this. When God begins to work in the church, the church becomes a powerful force of healing in the community we are changed and then we begin to be change agents we cannot take this good thing of being born again and leaving it here at Ridgecrest the church is put into a specific community to bring hope and healing I would add to that community it is our Jerusalem Springfield is our Jerusalem and if we are growing strong we will bring hope and healing to this city. We will be a positive bridge between the physical world and the spiritual world. I know that there are times when I have failed in communicating just how much good you are doing. There's this balance between not knowing, letting the left hand know what the right hand is doing and then, again, just not telling people stuff. So let me tell you this. Last week, we caught wind of the fact that many of the families that attend right down the street here at Jeffrey's Elementary, they had outstanding lunch bills that couldn't be paid. It was almost $3,000. Those families now this summer don't have to worry about that bill because of you. Now, again, I wasn't even going to mention that, but this morning the spirit said, well, most of us don't know. What is Ridgecrest doing? Well, We're doing a lot, but we don't want to. It's not for us. It's for Jesus. It's for the kingdom. I don't want to brag about it, but I want you to know. I want you to know that we are displaying God's love. Let me tell you another story. It happened about a year ago. A church in our community that's doing much better at feeding poor people in Springfield on the north side of town had a fantastic ministry, but they were having to carry pallets of food upstairs and downstairs because they were working out of a basement. They needed a building. It cost $10,000. Now they have that building because of Ridgecrest, and they're able to feed more people effectively. Amen. Now, I've said that. Now someone will say, well, you're just bragging. No, it's not, not bragging, if it's facts. But here, here's the deal. Those facts are not for us to bring glory to ourselves. We must look for ways to display the glory of God. And there are hurting people all around us here in Springfield. When we talk about the needs of Springfield, they are more great than any of you can imagine. You don't have to go more than a few hundred yards from this building to find people who are genuinely hurting, who genuinely need your gospel witness. You must put fear to rest and let God have your heart. You need to be a source of miracles everywhere you go. God wants you to make a difference. Notice in this text a very strange thing. It says that as the church grew, verse 14, verse 15, so that even they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, That as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Whew, that's power. Now, a shadow. Take a look at this picture. It's just a a, a stock photo. I just want you to see a shadow. Now, I can see my shadow in here, but it's it's not casting on anybody. But when I go out in the community, if I am out in my neighborhood in these neighborhoods all around us. Our shadow may not heal someone physically, but let me tell you, they're never going to hear Jesus, about Jesus from you, if they never come across your shadow. Too many of us have not had a shadow in our neighborhood. Too many of us have not had a shadow in our community. And therefore, so many of us have not had any gospel conversations. Get out of here, some. Get into the community and let your shadow be cast on others. But even better, let your witness be heard. Born again people cast a shadow that makes a difference. And all manner of brokenness finds healing in Jesus. But we can't expect to be agents of change when all we do is go to church And we never go out to witness. God wants to do a great work in our midst. We need Christians who will fight sin. Hear me now. Who will fight sin. Fear God. And faithfully march. Where spiritual need is greatest. We need God fearing. Christ loving spirit filled Christians. Because when we have that. We have signs and wonders. And I pray God will stir your heart this morning. In fact, I pray God will save you. Because I am not convinced. I am not convinced that just because somebody can say that they have been in a pew or a seat or a Sunday school class for years, I'm not convinced that that's enough. If you think very little on spiritual things, it could be that you're not a spiritual person. If your focus is always on the world and not on the world beyond, that's a clue that something's amiss. And Jesus says, you must be born again. Signs and wonders, brothers and sisters, signs and wonders. God wants to do them. But here's the deal. I know that when we hear that phrase in our context and with the charismatic movement and their view on this, which is perfectly fine. Yes, God does heal bodies. There's no doubt in my mind that God can heal any disease. I have no problem with that. I believe in the power of God. But I believe that the first and greatest need in terms of healing in the church today is for people to be born again. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgeCrestBaptist.org.